This message was presented at the GYC 2017 conference, Arise, in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. All right, can everybody hear me? Good, Good morning. morning. Thanks for joining. Um, I, think, I think I recognize a lot of your faces from yesterday. How many people were here yesterday? Nice. Great. So hopefully <laughs> we were really exciting. I'm glad you came back. You're here for the home stretch. Yeah. So this is going to be a really great discussion, I think, because we talked yesterday about how do you get prepared to share the gospel effectively with the W3s. And, and then we talked about how do you actually have spiritual conversations and attract spiritual interests. And this is really the home stretch. So how do you take those spiritual conversations, convert them to Bible studies, and have a meaningful discussion that will inspire people to be interested in God and and start thinking about matters of salvation. So before we jump in, um, why don't we start with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to come together in freedom and to study your word, to hear more about the opportunities you've given us. Each one of the people in this room have enormous access, many of them to W3s and Everyone has access to somebody around them that needs to hear the truth about the Bible and your gift of salvation. So I ask that you equip each one of us to feel that need on our hearts to share your love authentically with other people, to be bold and to be confident. Help us to um, use the tools we're going to learn today in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So you know the drill. I always like to hear a little bit about the audience. So if you'll go to menti.com on your phones... And this time the code is 577703. Do you have a question? Oh. Yeah. Um, Then you can just vote in your head. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. That's all we got. We we try to keep it private, so let, let people confidentially answer. So the question is, how comfortable are you with giving a personal Bible study to a non-Adventist person? Zero to ten, ten being you're very confident. All right, there we go. That's what I was expecting to see. (laughs) Yeah, I was was like, wow, these people are a lot more confident than I was before I started this process. So we're landing about a five, which is... Which is pretty what I expected, actually. I would. S- <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully, after we go through this session today, you will feel a lot more confident how you can do this again in a very natural way. In fact, this group I've discovered with my friends and colleagues responds better when it's more of a mutual discussion. You're both exploring a topic together as opposed to I am Cynthia giving you a study on something. Right? You're it's leading their mind out to investigate. investigate. So hopefully you will feel like even if you don't know all the answers to everything, it's fine. This is a really easy approach to studying together with somebody as opposed to just delivering information. Let me switch back. Okay, so hopefully most of you recognize this chart or this process. We talked about how sharing Christ drives this self-reinforcing feedback loop. We started with heart conversion and why this, is, and this and life transformation is the key to the beginning of this whole process. We talked yesterday a lot about how you can naturally and authentically uh, have spiritual conversations with people, and now we're talking about how do you study the Bible effectively with your W3 friend. Also, a recap of yesterday, we talked about how attracting spiritual interest is a very deliberate process. This is not an accidental thing like, oh, you just wait until somebody comes up to you. No, you are deliberately engaging in interactions. And every time you meet somebody, you are always thinking, okay, what does this person care about? Do they know God? How can I share God's love most effectively with this person? We talked about how it's important to have credibility, so excelling in life and work. You want to actually establish relationships by extending invitations when you can and then, um, or basically accept invitations when you can and and extend invitations when you can't. Engage in spiritual conversations by turning almost anything into a spiritual conversation. Really care about the individual because people, you're trying to reach people's hearts and hopefully you actually do care about the person as opposed to just baptizing people randomly. And then finally, you always want to extend an invitation. So, 
today's discussion is really about how do you get over this bump, right? So you have a ton of spiritual conversations all the time. You know, I, I would say like in an average week, you might have, I don't know, three a day at least. And so you'll have lots and lots and lots of spiritual conversations, but how do you get over that first bump to actually have a Bible study with somebody? That's what we're trying to figure out. And the key here is remember those five steps that we just talked about, right? You are actually going to always leave an open-ended invitation with every single one of those people where you say, if you'd ever like to discuss these topics further, just let me know. And if you were here yesterday, you remember that I said, you never know when people will reply to you. I think David gave an example where he left an open-ended invitation and six months later somebody accepted and he kept the conversation going because it was a coworker. In my case, I had an example of a classmate who I uh, left this offer open, never talked to him for nine months, and then he randomly texted me nine months later about accepting my offer. So you never know when people will accept. And, and just to um, add to this language, we, we actually picked these words specifically. This is not random language that we just thought you might want to consider. We actually think these are the words that you should use. Not to be too prescriptive, but I'm going to be a little prescriptive. <laughs> and, and I'd like to just pose a quick question to you guys. Like, why do you think these are the words? What is it about this formulation that works? So discuss, right? Discuss. Everyone likes to discuss. No one likes to be lectured or taught necessarily. But discuss. Anyone can get behind discuss. Good. What else? Topics. Yeah. Topics is open and broad. It's not if you'd ever like to be taught doctrine. <laughs> right. We could have formulated this a different way. If you'd ever like to be lectured on doctrine, let's do it right now. <laughs> or never. And you're going to hell. So, yeah, so... Topics is broad. Someone said no pressure. Yeah, it is. It's just let me know. And they feel completely at comfort to say, well, not right now. Um, so, yeah, those are the reasons. This, this is a very specific formulation for those reasons. Yes? I'm curious to know if offering a, a specific time point would generate a, a more successful response. But just let me know, are you free next week? So, uh, not, not to put you on the spot, but how many of these sessions have you been to so far? All of them. Good. So, you will be able to answer this question. Why is the keeping it open-ended better? You don't want to ever corner someone, or you, your intention is not to corner them necessarily, but it's not about your intention. It's about how they feel. So, if there's anything that could, if there's like 1% chance that someone could feel cornered or pressured... Just don't even do it. Eliminate it. And even once you think you've eliminated it, there's probably something left over. So just try to eliminate it. Yeah. And what um, I also like mm -hmm. to do is, is really show that this is something you love to do. Remember what I, if you were here yesterday, remember what I said is people in this group, it's very normal to feel, you don't like to feel an imbalance of power in a discussion or a relationship. So you want to make sure that you convey clearly that you really like this stuff, like you enjoy talking about it, it's a pleasure, so that they don't feel like they'll be in, in, impinging on your time or sort of taking advantage of you. And, and just, you know, for, for you, just to pick on you one more time, thank you for making the comment because it gives us an opportunity to make some other, other points. Um, when you say a higher success rate in these invitations, um, actually our success rate is quite high with this. I would argue that it's probably higher than if you try to, so what's your schedule look like for next Tuesday? Um, so anyway, that's, uh, thank you for uh, setting us up to make those points. Yes? Uh, so the question is, is, would it be preferable or beneficial to formulate this as, would you... Would you like to get together and 
would you like to get together to discuss these topics? So instead of if you'd ever like, you say, would you like to get together? What does would you like give in terms of an answer? What does that sound like? It's a yes or no, right? So for me, that would be putting somebody on the spot. Like you're asking them, tell me right now, are you interested? And, yeah, and this is, a, this is a general principle, is if you ever have a choice of formulating a question as a yes or no versus an open-ended, always pick the open-ended. Always. I'm trying to think of an exception. I can't think of one. There might be one like, are you hungry and you want to get lunch? That would be better <laughs> as a yes or no. But, but in general, yeah, always open-ended. So one more point I forgot to mention earlier when I reminded you of this process is the, the important piece that this feeds into a, a Bible study is when you're going through this entire process over and over with multiple people, you get to know people really well. Before you ever go in deep in with, a, with a Bible study, you get to know what their biases are, what they care about, if they have any bad experiences in the past with God and religion. So this is a really useful process, frankly, just to get to know people, because then you'll be armed with a lot more context of how when you go to actually have a Bible study with people, you'll actually understand how to frame things, and you kind of know ahead of time potential red flags that they might um, have trouble with understanding or, or objecting with later. Does that make sense? You, so you get a lot of interesting intelligence through this process. So now we're going to give you a little bit of, I, I mean, it sounds like many of you probably have given a Bible study, but we're going to go through a little bit of the anatomy of a Bible study that we've uh, used with W3s. So a big piece of this is first just to pick a good spot, right? It doesn't have to be super private. In fact, I had a question yesterday from somebody, and I've heard it before when I talk to college students especially, is what do you do with somebody of the opposite sex? So... For example, when I study with, with men, it's a little bit more challenging because, if, especially if one or both of you are single, um, you don't want to have the wrong message get across. So for me, what I've done a lot is, A, you never study the Bible in a private place. So I have in the past studied on campus, like where people are walking by. Um, more recently, I have a lot of friends from either other countries or other places from school. So I've done a lot of studies on Skype. Um, David, I think your example. Yeah, so I, anyone here from the Northeast? One, two, sort of the Northeast, mid-Atlantic? Wow. They're probably all snowed in. <laughs> anyway, uh, there's a great supermarket chain out there called Wegmans, which you may have heard of. Um, Wegmans is renowned in particular for its great food court uh, setup. And there happens to be a Wegmans right by uh, headquarters where I work, or used to work. Um, and so that's where our, that's, that was my Bible study place. And so I would meet uh, my Bible studies at 7.30 a.m. at Wegmans. And we would study from 7.30 to 8. 30, and then we'd be in the office by 8.45-ish. Um, so that's a completely public place. But at, at 7.30 a.m., it's also very quiet. So you can actually have a conversation. Yep. Obviously, with my women friends, I've very frequently either invited them to my place or gone to their place. But you have to be careful if it's somebody who is not, uh, if, if it's not the same gender. Um, okay, so next piece is you should both have Bibles. So most of my friends actually didn't have Bibles, so I just, I just bought them a Bible and gave it to them because you want them to actually read it for themselves. Everything that you're discussing and going through, you want them to actually read it for themselves. Right, um, so you make sure you don't have a trick Bible. <laughs> that their Bible says the same thing as your Bible. Yes, that's helpful. And take turns reading. I honestly... Um, my actually, I have actually had them read most of the text them directly, but you can also, of course, take turns. At the minimum, you, you should have them at least half the time reading the text themselves out loud. Very important, especially with this group, you need to manage time carefully, 
right? This group is used to being punctual. This, use, this group is used to being very professional. So you need to keep that standard. And hopefully you are also very professional. So you need to keep that standard and manage your time carefully. Um, one more piece on the end on time. It's very tempting if, if people get, are getting really into the discussion, et cetera, to just keep going over. But you need to really watch that time and end as expected. You probably both have appointments, frankly, meetings to go to anyways. And also, if you leave them wanting more and having more questions, then you get the next study. So that's, that's an important point, which I don't think we actually make on any slides. Uh, your objective at every study is to get the next study. And you have to earn it every time you do not get that next study for granted. And so you have to deliver something that's valuable and interesting and helpful to them every single time, which earns you the, next, earns you the right for the next study. So keep that in mind. Uh, you are always trying to get them to the next step of the conversation. And I'll be honest with you. I've had conversations where people asked me something that they wanted to discuss, and I was a little bit unsure about the topic. And so I was like, oh, no, I really hope they still want to talk to me after we have this conversation. Um, so in terms of a, a suggested schedule to follow, I always like to spend you know, a couple, uh, 15 minutes around, uh, 15 minutes up front just chatting, getting caught up on what's been happening. I usually meet people like once a week. So, you know, things happen in the last seven days. So it's useful to just reconnect, find out what's happening. You know, if you knew that they were going through something last week, you follow up with what happened this week, et cetera. And, and this can be the, actually the most important time mm -hmm. of the whole Bible study. You will find, you'll learn things about them. You, as you get closer and deeper into the subject matter, they will re reveal more about what they're struggling with or what's on their mind. And there have been times where I had my agenda of the topics that I thought I wanted to go through, but the individual was just going through some really challenging situation, and we ended up just talking about that. That's okay. Um, now, in some other Bible study trainings I've attended, uh, people have made the point that, hey, some people are just lonely, and they want to talk to someone, and so you really have to cut that off and be careful about that. I think that's a valid point in the context of, again, witnessing to strangers where you're getting a cold contact from somewhere where you don't know each other and you don't know where they're coming from. But remember, this is a totally different context. These are people who you know, they know you, they like you, you have a relationship that's hopefully enduring beyond whether you even get a Bible study. And so this is a different situation in which you want to make that investment in their personal life and in your relationship so that you can continue to lead them to Christ. And you will also appreciate this point if you are Latin American. I worked in Brazil for a couple of years, and you never start a meeting like in America where you just start and you go through the agenda. You literally spend 15 or 20 minutes just chatting about how people are doing. And I, I appreciated that coming out of that experience because it helps you build relationships. So after the first 15 minutes, then you spend the next 30 or so minutes with the actual discussion. And don't forget to open with prayer. And you actually learn a lot from people when you ask, what would you like me to pray for? So if you ask somebody, do you have any prayer requests, you actually learn a lot as well. The other thing about opening with prayer is that it creates a very clear demarcation between the chit-chat phase and the Bible study phase. So, and, and that's really important because it just sets the tone, shifts the mindset, uh, and allows you to reset the thinking for the Bible study. And in the last 15 minutes, you can use with additional discussions, handling more questions. Obviously, this, the previous 30 minutes was also a discussion, so you're handling questions and you know, discussing different topics. But with the last 15 minutes, you can complete that discussion, um, kind of see what they're thinking about the whole discussion, wrap up appeals, and close with prayer. And remember what, I, what we talked about earlier is really, really keep the ending on time piece, so don't get sidetracked. A lot of times I had a particular friend that was constantly thinking about branches from our discussion, and it's important not to get too sidetracked if you can avoid it. And feel free to use that phrase, that's another study, or we, we can talk about that next time, et cetera. Yeah, I would formulate it that way. I don't know about you, but I'd say that's a whole other study. Uh, great question. 
It's a whole other study. Uh, so maybe we can get that get to that in the next couple weeks, which is great because then they and then they say, oh, that sounds good, which means you have at least a couple more weeks of Bible studies. <laughs> If they want the answer to that question. Yes, question. We're going to get to that. Thank you. So a one-liner to transition. The question is a one-liner to transition from chit-chat to Bible study and or to close. So um, one one-liner I use to transition from chit-chat to Bible study is, all right, so should we do it? <laughs> I mean, literally. <laughs> like, we both know why we're here. Yeah. <laughs> we're not, this is not a mystery. So it's like, all right, you ready to go? Let's do it. So that's one I use. Do you have one? Um, not exactly that one. I try to actually remind people like, oh, you had told me last week, you know, given what you had been interested in, you know, what, why don't we jump into this? Because I think you'll find this is super relevant to what you're going through right now. Okay. Like it's, it's try to bring it in with what's happening in their life. Because I generally try to give studies that they're interested in. And also, of course, people understand what you're laying the groundwork. So the piece about let's don't get sidetracked is if people are interested in another topic, a lot of times you can't just jump into the mark of the beast, for example, right? Like that's not where you start. So you want to, people understand in this world about the context and how important it is to lay the groundwork. And I really use those words. Like it's really important to lay the groundwork for this topic. So why don't we start here first and then we'll get to that in a few weeks. And just to be clear, we do teach the mark of the beast to atheists and evangelicals. And, and Catholics. Catholics and to yeah. Buddhists. We do teach that. So we are not saying don't teach those things. It's just not lesson number one. <laughs> There's a little background you need to get there. Yes. So next tip is ask them what they know or think about a topic up front. And I think you have a good example of this. Well, I, yeah, so this, this is a really important step. So I'll say something like, so today we're going to talk about what happens after you die. So what do you think happens after you die? Or what have you heard in the past? Now, I, I'd like to make a point. Um, how did I formulate that sentence, that question? Today, we're going to talk about what happens after you die. I did not say, today we're going to talk about the state of the dead. And they're going to wonder, well, is that Idaho or what? <laughs> uh, no apo I mean, apologies to Idaho. Any Idahoans here? I love your potatoes. <laughs> and by the way, I, I understand that Idaho was, not, if not number one, top five, like net in-migration from other states. So you guys are doing a great job. <laughs> but we, we cannot use Adventese with these people. Nobody outside of, well, I don't know if this is true, but I'll just exaggerate it to be funny. Um, like nobody knows what it means when we say, hey, so you want to talk about the state of the dead? Is that a rock band? <laughs> I have no clue what you're talking about. So today we're going to talk about what happens after you die. It's very plain language. It says exactly what it's describing. And you need to, we, we all really need to check ourselves. Like when we're about to say something that's doctrinal or, or sort of churchy, like, okay, what's the simplest, most plain spoken way that I can say this that someone who's never had any exposure to the Adventist church can understand. And you've got to think that through. So today we're going to ask, uh, so, so I ask this to everybody. So if I'm talking to my atheist uh, friend, I say, so we're going to talk about what happens after you die. What do you think happens after you die? You're an atheist. I'm curious. And he says, well, I think you turn into fertilizer. And that's about it. And I said, that's, that's a pretty good answer. We'll add a little bit more on that, but it's a good answer. But now I know where he's coming from. Versus when I study with my evangelical friend, I say, so we're going to talk about what happens after you die. Um, what is your thinking or what is your belief on what happens after you die? 
And he says, well, you go to heaven or hell. And I say, okay, well, let's see what the Bible has to say. I didn't tell him that he was wrong, by the way. Because the facts will speak for themselves. Remember, I forget if it was session two. I said, you know, the great thing about being a Seventh-day Adventist is what you believe is actually true. So you can be very confident. Um, but it's really important to ask them what they know or think about a topic in advance because that tells you where the landmines are or where their biases are, where you might need to emphasize things and where you might need to tread lightly. So. I remember what I said about the importance of having an equal balance of power in this discussion. If you come across as saying, oh, well, that's wrong, what did you just do? You basically put yourself on a pedestal of higher knowledge than your friend. Right. And so it's really important to keep it, keep the tone as two people who are searching for the truth. Next tip here is actively solicit questions and reactions. Right. This is during the entire discussion and keep the dialogue open. This will get a little tricky because depending on who you're studying with, they obviously all have different preconceived notions and different hangups. And so you never know what people are going to say. Yeah, so this is the part where you, you, will, you will have to improvise. And you will have to think on your feet. And so, um, and that's the fun part. Shall we do a role play? Why not? Let's go for it. <laughs> I wanted you to get a, I want, we want you to get an example, a, a feel for how these conversations really work. Because remember, these are very smart people. They're not just some random person off the street. They know you, and they're going to challenge your intelligence. So... So who, who am I and who are you? Uh, why don't you be an evangelical person? Okay. I will try to be giving you a, a, giving you a Bible study, and I'll try to lead the discussion a little bit. And so, what's the topic? Uh, let's just do hell, actually. Hell is always an interesting topic. Um, so, David, we've been talking you know, for the last 30 minutes about hell and what it was created for and um, where it is, et cetera. What do you think about all that? You know... First of all, I've never heard anyone say this before, so it's totally new. And if this is true, it's huge upside. What do you mean by upside? Well, if you're not tortured forever and you just basically die and cease to exist, that is, that's, that's, a huge, that's huge upside versus the whole eternal torment thing. Yeah, absolutely. And... What does that mean from a perspective of, of God's perspective? What do you think about a God who would choose to burn people forever and ever versus a God who has a finite end to evil? Um, <laughs> I mean, God can do whatever he wants. He's sovereign. He can. Does it, does it make sense, though, in terms of the consistency of the Bible with God's character of, of being love and wanting not to turn torture people forever and ever? You know, but the thing is, is if the punishment isn't that bad, then it could reduce the incentive to be a Christian. Oh, that's interesting. I haven't thought about it that way. Do you think a lot of people are believers in God because of fear? I mean, who hasn't heard the fire and brimstone sermon about how you're going to be tortured forever? I mean, of course that's a motivator. Yeah, I could see that. But the God that we have come to understand in the Bible, he is love. So does it sound like he would be the kind of God who would want people to follow him based on fear? Well, God can do whatever he wants. He's sovereign. <laughs> <laughs> well, did it, we, we remember when we talked about in Peter where Sodom and Gomorrah are not experiencing eternal fire, the way we think about the word eternal, right? Because you can go there physically today and it's not still burning. Maybe it's burning somewhere else. Where would that be? I don't know. Some other place? But we also saw in Revelation that hell happens on earth. But God can do whatever he wants. He's omnipotent. <laughs> okay, well, you know, if I have... I, I would love to know if what I've read in the scripture is wrong, because I don't like being wrong, and I would love to know more if you have a better perspective. So why don't you take some time over the next week or two and study it for yourself and let me know what you find. That sounds good. I'll do that. Whew. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so this is an actual conversation. In this case, I, you haven't had this conversation, right? I've so had this conversation. This was your, yeah, was yeah, this your was, conversation. Yeah, this was my conversation. So this is an actual conversation I had with one of my Bible studies who's an evangelical. Grew up from, he was raised an evangelical. And even though we've gone through all the texts and all the logic, like these things, like you are asking them to radically shift their entire universal paradigm. And it takes time. And sometimes people just have to grapple with it and marinate. And you know, sometimes you'll never get them there, at least in the, the timing horizon. Um, so you have to be understanding of that. And what was Cynthia doing? How was she responding to my basic insistence on my, my refusal to go there and accept what had been laid out? Yes. She was asking you more questions and also asking you to think about what you learned in Scripture as it related to that. That's right. So she was asking me questions. She was uh, pointing me back to the Scripture. That's good. What else? Anything else that... Yeah, so she was trying to help me see the inconsistencies in my own line of reasoning. And what else? She, I think she, um, she never shut you down or said you were wrong. She never shut me down. She never said I was wrong. She, she never you were. Yeah, and she kept the dialogue open. <laughs> Even at the end, she, said, she basically she, she earned the next Bible study by giving me the opportunity to come back and prove her wrong. And I'm a smart person who's usually right, so I would welcome that. And she never argued with me. So this, like, this, is, this is at the heart of how do you give a Bible study, frankly to anybody, but especially to these people. Because um, these people will ask you questions that your sort of um, mass market person will maybe not. Often not. Um, so. But don't be discouraged, right? Like this, this, what we just kind of did a quick role play, it happens a lot, right? These people are really smart. You never know what their context is. Hopefully you've been learning through your relationships. But examples from my um, experiences where people have had trouble kind of sort of getting their minds around something is I studied with a, a classmate at HBS who is Baptist, daughter of a Baptist preacher. And we had, uh, I had actually been having a, a women's Bible study on campus, and we had talked about the Sabbath, because people were really intrigued about how the Sabbath helps you live your life more um, balanced. And she had heard about this discussion from somebody in our group, and she had asked me to, like, let's talk about it. So we met together at her place, and we went through the, our discussion about the Sabbath, and she thought it all made sense, right? Because the Bible does make sense. But she could not understand, like, how is it possible that her entire life of keeping Sunday and her father, who's a pastor at, in the Baptist church, like, how is that? It, just, it was really hard for her to get her mind around it. So this is similar situation happened with what we just role-played with this uh, explanation about hell, where I just told her, you know what, why don't you study this for yourself? Because for me, this is a really powerful message with a lot of implications, and it's changed my life for the better. And I really believe there's a special blessing on this day. And so I just left her to, to, to study it on her own as well. So just as a, an, another short story on this, the Sabbath thing, I was having a spiritual conversation with a guy who was a, you know, kind of a devout... Methodist slash Baptist, um, you know, co Korean guy. And so we were talking about the Sabbath. And I said, well, well he was asking, well, why do, you, why do you go to church on Saturdays? Well, because of, of, you know, the fourth commandment, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But I, I think the biblical Sabbath day of worship uh, is Saturday. And he stopped for a moment, and he thought about it, and he said, you're totally right. And then he says, in fact, we all know that Saturday's the Sabbath. It's just that Sunday's way more convenient because everyone does it. Like that, he was literally that blunt. And this, this was a guy who was informed. I mean, we were talking about the differences in theology between the Methodists, the Presbyterians, and the Baptists. And he actually knew. So this was not, you know, like this was something when, when who was informed and... Um, so that, 
doesn't actually have anything to do with your point, but you brought up the Sabbath. Uh, the other thing I will say is on our little role play with the evangelical I was studying with, so we agreed that I was going to come back in a couple weeks and walk uh, her through the list of verses that would support a different view. And so what happened was uh, I came back, I had a list of verses, and I read one, and I said, so since here's the first one I read, blah, 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 and I said, but... I didn't find it that compelling because of this. And they said, and then here's another one that I found, but I didn't find it that compelling because of that. So he actually came back and presented to me some of the key verses that most people use to talk about eternal hellfire. And then he also gave me the counter argument for every single one. And I didn't say anything for the entire uh, uh, presentation that he gave me other than say, oh, that's really interesting. I agree with that. I think you're right. (laughs) I love it when my Bible study prospects actually teach me what I'm supposed to be teaching them. Yeah, another example is, uh, especially with the classmates that I've had or the friends that I've had that are not, have, have zero basis in Christianity, like people that are atheist or people that grew up in a foreign country, they actually have... Frankly, it's very lot. Like I consider the Bible pretty logical. So the things about the Sabbath and this topic about hell, like they all thought it made perfect sense according to the Bible. And what they've struggled the most with is actually creation, because they have a lot more background in evolution and science, and they really love science. So that creation was actually the biggest hang-up for a friend of mine who's Russian, and he grew up in Thailand and had more of like the Buddhist influence. And so he had more of a hang-up with creation. And similar thing, he actually thought he actually thought the concept of God makes sense, and he liked the picture of God in the Bible. The trouble was he thought there was a certain, I think his words were elegance in the process of evolution and how God set the process of evolution in motion in order to let things sort of evolve. And he thought that was very elegant, and he thought that spoke about God's power. But I, we talked a little bit more about how evolution is not exactly a loving process. Things have to die and suffer in order to evolve. So that, again, he struggled with that. It's a similar example of where there are deep-seated beliefs and backgrounds that people have. And so don't let that uh, discourage you. Like, you know, you're ultimately always trying to preserve the relationship with your friend. That's right. Preserve the relationship. The objective is to get the next study. The objective is not to win the argument. It shouldn't be an argument. Just and it shouldn't be me. an argument. <laughs> it is not an argument. If you're winning the argument, you've already lost. Yes. So now let's talk about curriculum. I think somebody had a question in the audience around what do you use to study with? So first of all, pick something you feel confident presenting and that you think will fit your audience. And remember what I said, you actually want to start where they're interested. So generally when I have had spiritual conversations, I find out pretty quickly what they're curious about. And I'll even ask people when we first meet, what is it you're interested in learning or what would you like to discuss? And they'll tell me. So a good example of this is um, that Russian friend I had uh, from business school, he actually told me the first thing he's most curious about is he wanted to understand, he knows a lot about history. So he looked at you know, the Crusades and there are many instances in history where people did horrible things in the name of God. And so he wanted to know, what do you think about that? And he also had heard in the Old Testament that God told his people to wipe out entire nations. So how do you explain that? That was literally what he said I'm most interested in discussing. Well, you know, God's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. We're not doing the role play anymore. Uh, he's not evangelical. This guy is not, not religious, and he grew up in Thailand, and he's Russian. So he, so knowing that, I was just like, uh-oh. In, my, in my, the back of my mind, I'm thinking, uh-oh. Um, and so I, I basically told him, look, we can definitely talk about that, and it's something I'd like to discuss as well. However, we don't want to start there because I want you to have, again, the groundwork, the context, et cetera. So we started from ground zero. Like, for example, why is the Bible a reliable source of truth before you ever talk about what the Bible has to say about anything? Um, on that, I, I talk about how the Bible is, an, is a reliable source of data. Just, I mean, instead of, I mean, truth is good, but... I, I always refer to the Bible as a source of data. So anyway, go ahead. So in, that's just an example of how you really do want to start where people are interested. Be aware that they will probably have a lot of questions that you, not, you will not necessarily find an off-the-shelf Bible study for. So some off-the-shelf Bible studies that we have used and liked is, uh, for example, a good friend of ours, Ty Gibson, has a series of Bible studies called Truthlink, which is really a, trying to frame 
um, the Bible studies all around God is love. But they're, really, they're still very intelligent, and they still go through all of the key messages, but it's all framed around that relationship with God. So when you're looking at off-the-shelf Bible studies, uh, whether it's TruthLink or something else, the questions you want to ask yourself are things like, um, how is my friend going to respond to this document? The look, illustrations, if any. Uh, does it look like it was from the 50s, or does it look modern? Um, how much fill-in-the-blank do they use? Because most people haven't done fill-in-the-blank since seventh grade. Um, now, I'm not saying those aren't good. Those, those, there, are, there are great off-the-shelf Bible studies which have stood the test of time that people have really worked well with. So this is not to criticize those, but this is a specific segment of the population with a specific way of looking at the world. And so anything we say about off-the-shelf Bible studies is specific to our experience with this population. This is not a blanket criticism because there are a lot of great off-the-shelf Bible studies. It's just that some of them may or may not work well with certain segments of the population. And remember what I said, you know a lot about this person, hopefully by now, right? Because you're friends with them, you've spent a lot of time cultivating the relationship and you care about the individual. So you hopefully know how they would receive what's in that prepackaged study. So I'll be honest with you, I have borrowed, I love Ty Gibson's studies, and I have borrowed elements of it, but every time I have a Bible study with somebody, it's always tailored to the individual. Yeah. I never just take a piece of paper and just be like, go through this exactly word by word. And neither of us use our neither of us use off-the-shelf Bible studies. We do what's on the next slide. Yeah. So what we like to do instead is you write your own by packaging concepts from other resources. Either, like I said, you pick and choose from different pieces that you think, oh, this I think will resonate with this person, or you actually can't find a, a, a off-the-shelf Bible study with this topic. Because remember, you're always asking people, what are they interested in? What are they curious about? You're going to get all kinds of questions. Um, just some examples of of questions I've gotten that I've never seen a, like, Bible, a packaged Bible study for is um, <laughs> why does a literal six-day creation matter? Right? So this is from a, a person who is evangelical, and they were like, well, I don't know that uh, creation has to be contrary to the, the, the sort of tenets of science. So why does it really matter if it's six days or, or more? It could be figurative six days. Like, why does that matter? I've personally never seen an off-the-shelf Bible study on that topic. So I had to study, study it for myself and create my own. Um, another example is I had a friend of mine at business school who was dating a guy for a while, and she wanted to talk about, when I asked her, what are you interested in learning? And she said, um, can you have sexual immorality in a committed relationship? Again, I've never seen an off-the-shelf Bible study with that topic. So guess what? I had to study it for myself, and then we had talked about it. There is one. The illustrations are really interesting. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. There isn't one. <laughs> um, we talked about genocide in the Old Testament is a topic that my Russian friend was interested in. Um, another interesting one I had more recently is a friend of mine who uh, uses marijuana, and he, wanted, he thought he's heard somebody tell him that cannabis is mentioned in the Bible in a positive light. So he said, Let's, I want to talk about cannabis in the Bible. So there you go. There's another random topic that never saw a packaged Bible study for it. Guess what I had to do? Study it for myself, and then we talked about it. Yes? Since you have all these unique situations, you've kind of written your own kind of study. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the, the trick here is that like my Bible studies are literally like bullet points with, with Bible verses. They're not like packaged in a way that it's but like not a formal Bible study. Here, stuff that you're putting in your own words, but it's resources that are there to kind of help guide you as you're putting yeah, together your books. Yeah, so. Well, that's why the slide says, or write your own. I mean, the the... the the simple answer is because our 
Bible studies are so rough. I mean, they're just literally, they are bullet points on a page. Uh, we feel a little bit uh, shy about <laughs> blasting them into the universe. Because, uh, you know, there might be something not quite right. There might be, like, language that's a little bit odd. Um, I don't know. So that's why, historically, we haven't really um, blasted them into the uh, internets. Uh, so that's the best thing we can say right now. And here's the other thing is I understand the desire for a shortcut, but remember that you don't really know something until you teach it. And I will be honest with you, for these types of topics, I spent like a, a week or two studying this for myself. And that process, A, makes you more confident because you read it for yourself and you studied it for yourself. And B, you're much more prepared to tailor it to the person you know so well. So I actually encourage people to go through this process of studying it for yourself and really digging into the scripture. I think I mentioned this around the process of um, heart conversion and life transformation. I encourage people not to just randomly open your Bible and read a random passage. Really go into the scripture intentionally with expectation that you're going to learn something powerful. And I encourage people to keep a list of questions they have, topics they've received, like somebody asked you about this topic and you have no idea what to say, or just things that you've always struggled with or were curious about and had questions. So really, you know, take God seriously because God does have an answer for that. And it might not be completely prescriptive, but it will be enough for you to, to base your faith on and strengthen your own faith. So I encourage people to do put the time in and, you know, roll up your sleeves and actually dig into the Bible. By the way, is cannabis mentioned in the Bible in a positive light? <laughs> so from what I could tell, I, I couldn't find it, so I had to like look through the internet to see like where did he get this? And apparently people think that uh, the incense rising from the sanctuary in the Old Testament <laughs> had some elements of cannabis in it, which I think is a, a huge stretch because I couldn't find it. I, <laughs> I couldn't find it. I, it didn't make sense to me, so I showed him, like, here's the text that everybody seems to think that it is cannabis. Does this sound like cannabis to you? Because like, you know what cannabis is. And he was like, no, not really. And so instead what we ended up talking about is I turned it into a Bible study about how, do you, how does the Bible tell us to guard our senses? Everything. Sight, brain, um, taste, everything. So that's what we ended up talking about. So but here, here's a really uh, good point is she literally answered his question. And you did a word search. Hey, there's no marijuana in the Bible. And then you went to your friend and said, hey, there's no marijuana in the Bible. Here's something that some people interpret in the way you just mentioned, but let's read it. Does it say marijuana? No, it doesn't. All right, let's talk about something else now that's related. <laughs> so you got to answer people's questions, like just, and you just answer in the simplest way possible. So it's not to get back to writing your own study, like just start with a word search. Is the word marijuana, cannabis, hashish? I don't know any other words. But <laughs> are those words in the Bible? The answer is no. There are some questions in the back. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, how much cultural context do you include, or do you at all? Is it strictly the Bible, or do you do things like, um, this is what this word is, and this is how the context is fleshed out? For something like, say, wine, where the wording is you know, different depending on what it is you're talking about. Yeah, you absolutely bring that in. Yeah, absolutely. Can you repeat the question for the... Sorry. Uh, so she uh, was recording. asking about, um, do you bring in context when you study the scriptures? For example, wine has very different meanings depending on where it's referenced in the Bible, the original translation. So do you bring that stuff in? Absolutely. You're all part of you know, doing an actual thorough search into the scriptures, and I think that includes understanding the historical context of what you're reading. Great. Thank you. Question. I'm sorry, can you repeat your question? I couldn't hear you. Like, do you think there's like a good time, or have you experienced a good time where it was better to just come out boldly and say certain things to people like in W3s? So the question is, is, is there a time to come out more boldly and just plainly state certain teachings? Yeah, for example, Paul, when he spoke to the Greeks in Athens, um, I, I guess the question I have as I listen to your question is, have we said something that gives you the impression that we don't state our beliefs boldly? No, no, that's not. Um, I was just thinking, have you experienced like, a time where you had to, like, you know... 
I mean, I, I, I will routinely in my studies say, hey, Cynthia, like, this is what I see in the Bible. Full stop. Yeah, and let's talk about what you see. And, but but I, I'm quite... Um, I, I'm quite, I think, I think we're both quite straightforward mm-hmm. with what's in the Bible. Like, we don't try to um, create common ground with the world where there is none. Uh, we, we don't, um, at least we do our best. I mean, I think we do our best not to, um, you know, try to make things fuzzy. But you can still say things in a, that are very clear and cut and dried in a way that is very, um, again, it's about understanding their language. Your, your goal is not to tell them what's true. Your goal is to have them understand what's true. You see the difference? What you, being focused on what you're telling them is focused on you. And I'm going to feel really good and true if I tell you this thing in these plain words that I think are plain. But actually, my objective is for you to understand what I think is true. And in order to tell you that or have you understand that, one, I I might need to build that up over a couple weeks. I might need to give you three different analogies that sort of get at the point but isn't actually the point. I, I might have to do a lot of different things in order to get you to understand and hopefully to believe what I believe is true. And that's the orientation. And I would also add that the Bible is not necessarily prescriptive on every single thing, right? Like you can, you can find questions that the Bible doesn't specifically answer that specific question. But what I tell people is that's because God is a God of freedom, right? He's not trying to dictate your every single move. He gives you broad principles with which to live your life that will make you live your life to the fullest and more abundantly. And then he lets you just have free reign within that that nice construct. And so when it came to my friend who was asking me about cannabis and whether that's okay, according to the Bible, I was like, well, you know, the Bible doesn't really talk about cannabis specifically. But the Bible does give you principles on what, how important it is to guard your senses. So why don't we talk about that? And then after we learn what the Bible has to say about guarding your senses and what you let into your body, then you tell me what you think the Bible says about cannabis. Yes. Yeah, so that's Colossians 2.16. And uh, it says, So let no one judge you with regard to food or drink or regarding a new moon um, festival or Sabbath. Um, so there, there is a very good explanation of that. Uh, we don't have time here. That's a whole other Bible study, but we can get to it in a couple <laughs> weeks. Um, but you know what? There are like 100,000 people in the exhibit hall at, at the booths who can actually explain that to you very well. But I will also add, what context was this happening? Were you having a session where you were sitting together with your Bibles and you were talking about this? Or was this as a hallway conversation where they were like, oh, why do you keep the Sabbath? And doesn't it say this? And you were talking about this in five minutes. What was the situation? So it was like a five-minute conversation kind of thing? Like more of a casual well, conversation. That, right. But, uh, yeah, Seven minutes. Like Okay, so that's, that's something that I will encourage you to do is if it wasn't planned, don't go into the details yeah. because that's not the right time. You don't want to turn it into a debate. And frankly, it's really hard to talk about hypotheticals in everybody's memory as opposed to let's look at the scripture and yes. let's talk about it and look at the context and look at the history and present the entire topic in its entirety. So, so we...
Yeah, so... So I, I never ask people, um, like, remember the formulation is, if you'd ever like to discuss these topics in the future, please let, you know, feel free to let me know, or please let me know. Um, this is not framed as, hey, I'll tell you what I believe and you tell me what you believe. Actually, what we're doing is we're getting together to understand what the biblical worldview says. And you can choose to agree or disagree with it. I happen to subscribe to it, but that's actually irrelevant. Because the point is, let's see what the Bible says. The other thing is, we did do a, um, a role play in which we basically said, hey, that's, that's a great topic. Unfortunately, you can't answer it in five minutes. So if you'd like, let's grab some time. Yeah. So that, that's the way to handle that. Yeah, so try not to get into details when you're having like a quick conversation. Like, right. Put yourselves in the right context, in the right moment, with both of your Bibles open, and then you've prepared for like a full discussion. How are we doing on time? We have five minutes. We have five minutes? Are you serious? <laughs> no, we have more than five minutes. What time do we end? No, we have five minutes, actually. Oh, we do have five minutes. Okay. Yeah. So we have five minutes, and we've only gotten through about 40% of our presentation. So let's see. What should we do now? Um, additional tips? Yeah, yeah, let's just move fast. We're going to move All fast. Right. Okay. So the recording will be on Audioverse. Audioverse. And uh, if you sign up for our email distribution list, we are going to send out a link for people to be able to download our slides. So we don't have a book, though. Yeah. Uh, all right, other tips. We're going to go really fast. Start where they're interested. We We've covered this. this. Yeah. Check. All right, take a factual tone. We've kind of talked about this, right? Everything should be factual. It should be like, here's what the text says. Now let's discuss that. Not like, here's what I think, here's what you think. I kind of feel this way. I kind of feel that way. Now, there is a phase of the study and the discussion where you do talk about, well, what's your reaction to the text? And you can feel a certain way about what the text says. But always bring it back to, what does the text say? I also make it very clear to people, I am not the authority on Scripture. Yeah. I am a searcher trying to understand what God is saying in the Bible. So let's talk about what the Bible says, not what I say. Yes. And it's um, like, I never try to sound like an advocate for my position. I try to sound actually almost dispassionate. Like, hey, here's what the text says. Here's what I take away from that. What do you take away from that? I'm never saying, hey, this is true. Isn't that awesome? Now, there is a point at which you say, wow, that's really great. But usually I wait for the person, the Bible study person, my Bible study, to say, wow, that's really amazing. And then I say, I totally agree with you. <laughs> it's always about them. Uh, if I had time, I would tell you a story about that, but we don't have time. Um, make statements in the form of questions. So when I'm studying with my evangelical friend about what happens after you die, and he says, well, you go straight to heaven or hell, then I say, so help me understand this. What do you say happened to Lazarus when he was in the tomb? So any thoughtful person is going to say, huh, okay, so he was in heaven, and then he got yanked back down to earth to live out the rest of his 30, 40, 50 years, and then he made the same trip again. Hmm. Let's talk about this, David. But you see, I made a statement in the form of a question. I didn't say, are you kidding me? Lazarus wasn't in heaven. He was in the tomb. That's, that's, uh, you make statements in the form of questions. Um, I don't know. Good question. I'll look into that. This is like your key phrase. If someone asks you something you don't know, you say, I don't know. That's a good question. Let's talk about that in a couple weeks. Okay, now you've got your next Bible study. <laughs> Make an appeal, but always preserve the relationship. We've talked about this. Don't corner them. Don't say like, this is the one and only moment at which you will be able to make this decision. There is a time, you know, you can kind of prod and you can sort of encourage and cajole, especially when you're like on study number 27 or 28 or 42 or, you know, but 
Uh, always, always, always preserve the Holy Spirit. Remember, you're not the Holy Spirit. What did I say? I said, preserve the relationship. <laughs> I said, preserve the relationship. The Holy Spirit doesn't need your, your help for preservation. This is what happens when I try to go fast. But remember, you are not the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit creates conviction. What you need to do is pray, Lord, help me to present the right stuff. Help me to not say anything that will get in this person's way. And I pray for the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does. That's what you should be praying for. Um, all right. If we had time, we would go through some of these topics, like origins, theodicy, is Jesus the only way, homosexuality, is the Bible trustworthy, and genocide in the Bible. But because we don't have time, we are not going to go through them right now. Sorry. And I'm going to skip through them. Sorry. But remember, you can get the slides if you're on our email distribution list. That's not marketing. That's just a fact. <laughs> All right. So this is a long, this is a process, but it is a custom manufacturing process. It is not a mass manufacturing process. And so this takes time. And so you know thousands of people or, you know, maybe your Facebook friends or your LinkedIn friends and you dedupe them and then you find out how many friends you actually have. So you know hundreds, you know thousands of people. Over time, a few of them will have spiritual conversations that actually lead to Bible studies. Now that is because you are having spiritual conversations all the time. I, I, I will on an average week Remember our definition of a spiritual conversation. It's things like, how was your weekend? And you say, I went to church. Um, over the course of an average week, I'll have you know, a dozen or more spiritual conversations every single week. And so it's a numbers game at a certain level. You're, just, you're having these conversations. You're finding who the hungry fish are. You're finding the ripe fruit. And then those, some of those ripe fruit then turn into Bible studies. And that's a relatively very few number. And then of those, very few will actually accept, at least in the time horizon of your studies with them. Lord knows, and we will know someday, what actually happens to all the seeds and all the discussions that you are planting over time. But you need to be very patient, and you need to not be discouraged. And it is tempting to become discouraged. But you have to... That's why Ellen White actually says, people who do this need to have the missionary spirit and not be discouraged, as you'll remember from a prior uh, session. So we have to wrap up now. I'll leave you with a few thoughts. When we started out in session one, we said we had four aspirations for you. One, we wanted you to recognize your heart condition. Two, we wanted you to go deeper with God through the course of these presentations. Three, we wanted you to develop a burden for W3s. And four, we wanted you to learn how to attract and win converts. I hope that you have gotten something on each of these categories, but at least one, uh, as a result of attending these, uh, these seminars. One thing we will say is last year we ran for the first time something that we call the acceleration program. It was a two-and-a-half-day two two program which takes this five hours that we just did and blows it out into two-and-a-half days and makes it very in-depth where you get to do the role-playing instead of us and you get to practice. Um, so we did that last year. It was a great success. Everyone who attended uh, really had a fantastic uh, impact. Um, we haven't done another one yet, frankly, because it takes a lot of work to get people, frankly, to market it and to get people to attend. So if any of you would like to host a, an acceleration program where you get people a critical mass of people, whether it's from your church, whether it's from your geographic location, wh whatever that group may be. Uh, and if you want to host that and we can just show up and teach, uh, we would love to talk with you. So maybe come talk to us at the booth. Or you, there's a speaker request form on the uh, website, uh, nicodemussociety.org. So you can go into that and we can talk about if you want to host a weekend seminar or a um, or a uh, acceleration program. Um, I now live in Tokyo, as most of you probably know, so that does throw a little bit of a challenge into it. But uh, Cynthia lives in Atlanta, 
And you can get anywhere from Atlanta in the continental US as long as the power is up. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I wanted to point you to those resources and then leave you again with this quote. It requires more grace, more stern discipline of character to work for God in the capacity of mechanic, merchant, lawyer, or farmer, carrying the precepts of Christianity into the ordinary business of life then to labor as an acknowledged missionary in the open field. This is harder. It requires a strong spiritual nerve to bring religion into the workshop and the business office, sanctifying the details of everyday life, ordering every transaction according to the standard of God's word. But this is what the Lord requires. And as we uh, close here, I just want to once again ask you, Will you take up this challenge? And I pray, we pray, that some of you, many of you, few of you, but someone in this room or hearing this recording will take up this challenge and proactively reach the wealthy, worldly, and well-educated in your life. And so with that, let's close with a word of prayer. And if you have other questions, come talk to us uh, at our booth, number 309. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, you have been with us. You have blessed. Uh, you have brought the people who needed to hear this message. And Lord, we thank you because you are so merciful to us. I pray, Lord, that someone here would have heard something that they can apply, that they would be able to use as soon as they go back home. And Lord, I pray that many W3s will be reached with the gospel by people right here in this room and that we will know the fruits of that labor when you come again in all of your glory. And we look forward to that day and we pray all these things in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. Thank you, everybody. This message was recorded at the GYC 2017 Conference Arise in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.